are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome to another Monday edition of Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts. I'm your Monday host, Jackson Gatlin, also host of Locked On Rockets right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Today, we'll be chatting with Andy Kamenetsky from Locked On Lakers to discuss the Lakers being down 0-3 against the Denver Nuggets, why things went so bad in this series, and are we finally seeing father time catching up to LeBron James? Then we'll be chatting with Devon Givens from Locked On Sixers to break down why it was time for the Sixers to move on from Doc Rivers, what Philly is looking for in its next head coach, and how much of that decision is tied up in James Harden's pending free agency. And lastly, we'll be chatting with Richard Stamen from Locked on NBA Big Board to discuss the biggest winners and losers from the NBA draft lottery and possible draft night scenarios. Now, today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code LOCKEDON. That's prizepicks.com. Promo code locked on and as always thank you so much for making locked on nba your first listen each and every day free and available on all podcast platforms including youtube joining us now is the host of locked on lakers andy kamenetsi you can track down wherever you listen to your podcasts and on youtube just search locked on lakers and andy the lakers find themselves in this what is likely an insurmountable hole 03 against the denver nuggets let's start with what is the biggest reason the Lakers find themselves down 0-3 in this series after what have been at least relatively competitive set of games to this point. Um, it's a bad combination of Denver is playing better than them. Denver is probably a better team, maybe not dramatically better, but better. And they have a wider margin for error than the Lakers. And we saw this in game one, where they managed to stave off um, what was pretty close to a Laker comeback. Um, the Lakers shot themselves in the foot a couple times down the stretch, but nonetheless, Denver managed to hold that off. Game two, they managed to mount a pretty amazing comeback, which, again, the Lakers had some execution issues down the stretch. But, you know, Jamal Murray and I think a little bit overlooked Michael Porter helped carry – Denver through a, a pretty, pretty uh, amazing comeback. And then game three, they bookended the Lakers with just this blitzkrieg of Jamal Murray to begin and Nikola Jokic at the end. And Denver's stars have been better than the Lakers stars. Denver's depth has been better than the Lakers depth. And they're, they're just outplaying the Lakers right now. This is I, heading into this series. I went back and forth in terms of trying to make a prediction because I I have had a lot of respect for Denver this whole year. Um, I said before Denver Phoenix began, Denver's going to beat them in six or less. I was like, they're going to absolutely wax this team. And as much as Mike Malone now at this point, it, this is shtick, you know, talking about how nobody respecting him and whatever. Yeah, this yeah. is something I think he's doing to speak to his players and. And good for him. But Denver did spend a lot of this season getting overlooked. And I think people not believing in them because of past pay, uh, playoff issues that I think we're forgetting. No Jamal Murray then, no Porter then, sometimes no both of them pre-KCP, pre-Bruce Brown. Like Aaron Gordon really solidly being in that mix. Like all this stuff has really mattered. Um, Denver the is just the better team. 
And it doesn't mean that the Lakers can't pull an upset, at least in theory, you know, when the game series began. I don't mean right now. But they're, they needed to play at a higher level than Denver in order to make that upset happen. And they're not playing at a higher level. So this is where we are right now. I don't think, and even going into the series, even if you had Denver painted as the better team between the two, I don't think anybody predicted a sweep is the problem. Like this is where we're at. Well, we're not there yet. Not uh, there yet. I know, I know we're not there yet, but it's looking increasingly more and more likely. And even if it's not a sweep, a gentleman's sweep, potential five game, you know, going out five game. Look, if no team has ever recovered from down 0-3, but if there was one player that could make an 0-3 comeback possible. I don't think Austin Reeves is there yet, Jackson. <laughs> I don't. I don't think Rui Hachimura is there either. I mean, they're they're having great series, and the Lakers need to make sure to resign them, but I don't think they're there those are, Those are the foundational pieces moving forwards for this, this uh, series, Lakers organization. This series they have been. <laughs> look, look, are we... We got to talk about LeBron. He, he's shooting 16% from three in this series. He's missing point-blank layups. He, he just... He looks mortal like he looks normal he looks like he is father time finally catching up to lebron i hate this narrative i hate it because it feels like it's popped up we started talking about this seven years ago is father time starting to catch up to LeBron? it it actually looks like it might be happening this time around i mean it you could see the effects of aging the last few years with lebron i mean it's it's been there just the fact that injury is more of a thing for lebron mm -hmm. you know who you know, before essentially before he became a Laker, this is somebody that was treated as a cyborg and just indestructible. And now he is more vulnerable just physically. You know, the, we forget that you're not supposed to be doing this at LeBron's age, like at age 38, season 20, billion miles on the odometer. You're not even supposed to be performing at the level LeBron's performing at. Like what he is doing right now, there is virtually no template for it. Like you are breaking new ground in, in what you're seeing with LeBron. And LeBron has not been bad in this series per se, but the problem is he's not been nearly good enough. Like he has not performed like, even if you want to say Anthony Davis has been the best Laker in this series. And I think you can make that argument. He certainly had the best single game of any Laker, if nothing else, that game, that game, uh, 40 point game one, LeBron hasn't even been the second best player on the Lakers. That's been Austin Reeves. And the way this team is set up, they can't afford for LeBron to be performing. Like, even if you want to say a high end number three, like the things, things start to crack from there. If that's the foundation. And to be clear, it's not all on LeBron. There are a lot of guys on the Lakers not performing well right now. You know, I mean, there's a white hot spotlight on D'Angelo Russell, which is deserved because he's been very bad on both sides of the ball. But the truth is, you know, Dennis Schroeder has been good defensively, but he's struggling to score. You know, the, the game four that Lonnie Walker had against Golden State feels like a million years ago. Like he has not really been producing. You know, Jared Vanderbilt, I think, is doing his job. His job is to defend and hustle and, you know, do some of the proverbial little things, but he is a non-scoring threat. And the fact that he's a non-scoring threat starts to become more magnified 
when other guys are struggling to score. You know, LeBron... It goes back to that is, margin for error, right? They just yeah. don't have the margin for error. Right. I mean, Le LeBron's numbers are fine, I guess, but he is efforting hard to put up those numbers. You know, I would say AD has been occasionally dominant, largely... He's had one really good game, one bad game, one, I think, good. You know, I think he has been largely doing what's asked of him. Austin Reeves has been terrific. Rui Hachimura has been terrific. You can't afford to have your role players for, in terms of what they're supposed to be doing outshine LeBron. Like, there's only so far you can get when that's the case, especially against a team like Denver that looks good enough to win the whole thing. With essentially just... LeBron James and Anthony Davis on the books for next season. How much does the outcome of this series, which again, it's not a sweep yet. It could be, but how much does the outcome of this series and the way that they are likely headed towards losing the series impact the decisions they make this off season, right? It'd be, it'd probably be a different story if this was at least what a competitive six, seven game series, which it still could be. We're not completely writing them off yet, but how much does this impact their decisions moving forward? Well, I mean, I think there has to be some degree of perspective. You know, like they've only really played about half a season together as a group. And that season was played under just heightened pressure mm -hmm. because they had to play so incredibly hard to just put themselves in the position to make the play in, much less the playoffs. Yeah. And they did a lot of it without LeBron. And I think this group on balance has performed very well together. I think they like to play with each other for each other. I think they have a pretty good chemistry. Um, I hope that they don't overreact to this series. Um, I mean, I would be stunned at this point if they don't basically match any offer to keep Austin Reeves. Otherwise, I mean, the, the fans are going to justifiably go ballistic. Um, I think unless the offer is absolutely insane, you should keep Rui Hachimura because he plays very well with LeBron and AD and also has the size that in certain respects can offset both of them in terms of LeBron's age and both of their injury issues. D'Angelo's tricky because on one hand, he has had a miserable series, even though I thought he on balance played well against both Memphis and Golden State. But your ability to replace D'Angelo Russell with somebody of his caliber becomes extremely difficult through free agency. And I know everybody's going to bring up Kyrie, but that without things getting incredibly convoluted and maybe even getting a little lucky, you, it, Kyrie means gutting the roster. And that's a terrible idea. I mean, beyond all the terrible things that potentially just come with bringing Kyrie into your house on a long-term deal, like put all the waves arms around aside when it comes to that the Lakers we've already seen how this goes with three stars and no depth it it does not work especially for LeBron at this stage of his career he needs the most amount of help possible the most amount of options the most amount of players around him that can perform at a high level it it would be a bad move on a lot of fronts if nothing else, to try to replace D'Angelo Russell with Kyrie Irving. If you think you can retain Rui, retain Reeves, I'm sure they're going to keep Jared Vanderbilt because he's just too inexpensive not to. 
and you think you can plug up the hole somewhere else, okay. But I think that might be premature, and I think it could potentially lead them down a road they don't like. Will the Lakers season come to an end a Monday night? What big decisions face the organization in the aftermath of whatever happens this postseason? Of course, of course, you'll have us covered for all that and more over at Locked On Lakers. Andy, I appreciate you stopping by Locked On NBA with me. Anytime, man. Coming up, why was it time for the Philadelphia 76ers to move on from Doc Rivers? What are they looking for in their next head coach? And what happens with James Harden's pending free agency? We're going to get there in just one moment. But first, today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. Next game, how about Jimmy Butler to score more than 26.5 points? What about LeBron James to have more than 7.5 rebounds? How about Jason Tatum to have less than 6.5 assists? Or what about Jamal Murray to have more than 3.5 three-pointers made? So what is prize picks? It's daily fantasy sports, but how does it work? Basically, you pick two to six players. If they score more or less than their prize picks projection, you can win up to 25 times back on your money on any entry that you submit. There's no competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available in prize picks offers projections on any sport that you watch. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that simple. They're safe. They offer fast withdrawals. Currently operational in over 30 states and Canada. And right now, every day of the NBA playoffs and the finals, one PrizePix user will win a chance of becoming a millionaire. But you got to download the app to find out how. So download the PrizePix app or go to prizepix.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code Locked On. That means if you deposit Deposit 100 bucks, price picks will give you 100 bucks. If you deposit 50 bucks, price picks will give you $50. So don't forget to enter promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. And continuing on here at Locked on NBA Monday, be sure to stay tuned in throughout the week as we have you covered for all of the playoff action right here at Locked on NBA. Joining us now is the host of Locked on Sixers, Devon Gibbons. You can track down wherever you listen to your podcast and on YouTube. Just search Locked on Sixers. Now, Devon, the Sixers moving on from longtime head coach Doc Rivers earlier this week. Why was it time for the Sixers to move on from Doc Rivers as their head coach? Well, simply because nothing changed from the previous regime in which Doc Rivers took over for Brett Brown. Three exits, a number one seed being knocked out in 2019 to the Atlanta Hawks. The issues in year number two, not all his fault because Joel Embiid had a broken orbital bone and a, a tear in his hand. Another second round exit there. And then the way that this one collapsed just two weeks ago, where the 76ers actually last weekend, a weekend about a week ago, uh, to the Boston Celtics, the way things happened in game six and seven. Uh, very, very clear path if you are getting past the, and with all due respect to Miami or the New York Knicks at that time, uh, to get past the Boston Celtics, no Milwaukee Bucks in your way. This was the path. This was year three. This is what the moves that were made last offseason and even during the trade deadline and picking up Jalen McDaniels, that this was the move, this was the year to get them finally past that second round exit. And if Ben Simmons was the scapegoat before, you have a free agent in James Harden after he opts out of his deal. Who else are you going to look at to point the finger at for the last few failures? Ben Simmons is no longer here. Uh, James Harden, you want to keep. And uh, Joel Embiid is not going anywhere either. Darren Moore is not firing himself. Who's next? And that's the head coach, and that's how it played out. If you had to choose one word to best describe Doc Rivers' tenure as head coach, what would it be? 
unfulfilling. Mm. Okay. Because, again, second round, three years in a row for Brett Brown. He comes in as the guy supposed to get them over the top. Didn't change. So while he may have had a number one seat, as we mentioned, uh, a, a clear path in this year based on taking a 3-2 series lead going into game six on your home floor, you did not do anything by moving on and getting past that second round, that all too all too hard to get past second round for the 76ers. Doc Rivers didn't do it. So with that, I would say that it was unfulfilled and that's where it, you know, basically leaves. And I wasn't a big Doc Rivers supporter with them coming with him coming in a few years ago during the during the year of which it was the pandemic and all. But knowing that he was the best on the market, I understood it. And even this past year, I thought he did a really good job. I thought he did a decent job in the playoffs, Jackson. But in the end, he didn't do what they asked for. And they thought that it was time to move on. Doc Rivers thought that this, as he mentioned it, uh, a one-on-one that he and I had, and he talked about how this team was ready. Well, they didn't show it in game six and seven. They showed it in the other games, but six and seven, or at least let's say the final five quarters of the season, they did not show it. So at this point, in your eyes, what what are the Sixers looking for? Or what should they be looking for in their next head coach? And and how much of that decision with some of the names that are maybe out there on the marketplace right now is tied up in what happens or doesn't happen with James Harden regarding his free agency? That's the question right now. And based on what Daryl Morey had to say with his press conference on Wednesday, middle of the week last week, he talked about more about championship experience or pedigree. And that's only a short list of names that are available right now from Frank Vogel to Monty Williams being in the finals, Mike Boonholzer, and certainly Nick Nurse. So if that's the case, then you're looking at some of those names. Now, the Mike D'Antoni piece that was talked about before Doc Rivers got the job three years ago. James Harden, if he is to stay, which Daryl Morey openly has pointed out that he wants him to stay, then clearly the connection there, as you well know, with the Houston Rockets, that's still there. Now, the age part, 72 years of age, it's a little concerning, but he has stayed in the basketball world there on the bench with Steve Nash, year one of the Brooklyn Nets, taking some time off since then. However, uh, that's the one connection there. Now, for me, if I'm answering as the guy who's helping Daryl Moore making the, the choice, Jackson, since you asked me that, uh, I, I need some more innovation on offense. We know Joel Embiid can score. We know he can do that. Tyrese Maxey can score also. I just need some more innovation, some more creativity on the offensive end. And I think that's really important in the next coach that is brought in here because, again, we already know what Joel Embiid can do. He can lead the league in scoring two years in a row and win an MVP. But they also – it gets stagnant a bit at times, and I think some things have to change with whomever the coach is next. Of the available coaches, is there one that you maybe have in mind that kind of addresses that need that you just pointed out? Uh, my favorite right now, personally, is Nick Nurse. And they had to do it differently with that offense, especially when you had – a championship team and uh, Kawhi Leonard and Kyle Lowry. So they can do a lot of things. And even when your offense isn't flowing the right way, you can bust it up. Same thing with having Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam at that time with Marcus Saul, who's a very good passer in the middle. Uh, you have a different thing here when it comes to Joel Embiid. He's a different animal of how, again, how you can get involved. So I do think, though, that you can get a little more creative with him because of his skill set from the inside and outside and if he has some things with some motion also guys driving to the basket can drop the ball off to him a little bit where he doesn't have to work as hard and get easier baskets so right now for me I'm very curious Nick Nurse because we saw the iteration with Leonard 
and Lowry and Gasol to later on having to do it with a small ball lineup where they had to get creative there. So that intrigues me a lot for the Sixers with what they currently have. At this point, should the Sixers look to bring James Harden back no matter what it looks like? Are you are you comfortable with the idea of a four-year, full-blown max, $200 million deal with him? And if not, what would be kind of the ideal outcome for a James Harden free agency to return to the 76ers? Yeah, for me, and I think that I would like this scenario, and especially if you heard my partner, Keith Pompey, uh, we're both hosts of Locked On 76ers. Keith broke a story on Friday stating that the Houston Rockets and James Harden, the marriage, they're trying to do that all over again. Uh, and there's real, real mutual interest there. So if that's the case, to answer your other question, no, I do not want to give him a four-year contract. It's not my money. But in terms of covering the team, being around the team as long as I have, of course, I have somewhat of a vested interest in them and seeing how they do things. And I don't think that's in their best interest to give a 33-year-old point guard who couldn't, for whatever reason, while he gave you the other two games that he won with the 40-point performances and even game five, he was tremendous. 17, 10, and 8 in the way that they won in game five to give them a 3-2 series lead. But for whatever reason, Jackson, in game six, in that final quarter when you needed your point guard to maybe step up a little bit, as fatigued as he may have been, whatever it was, whatever the excuse, you just needed it. Let's talk about it after we win and move on to the next round. He couldn't pull it together for that five minutes to close the game out. I had an issue there. And then in game seven, basically wasn't there. So uh, outside of the dunk that he had where the seas parted, he broke down the lane, got a dunk. Uh, other than that, man, I, I really don't see a reason why they would bring him back outside of the issues that there may be problematic of trying to fill and build a roster and bring someone in to help out the way that he did these past this past year and a half and replacing 20 and 11 uh, on, on any given night. Uh, they, hopefully they can work a sign and trade situation to make it happen where you could still get some really good pieces in here to take over if he is in fact moved on from. Who will ultimately be the Sixers' next head coach? Will James Harden be a Sixer next season? Of course, you'll have us cover for all of that and more over at Locked On Sixers. Devon, I appreciate you stopping by Locked On NBA with me. Thanks for having me, man. Coming up, who are the biggest winners and losers from the NBA draft lottery? And what are some possible draft night scenarios to be on the lookout for? We're going to get there in just one moment. And final segment here at Locked On NBA Monday. As always, thank you so much for making Locked On NBA part of your day every single day. Joining us now is Richard Stamen, one of the hosts of Locked On NBA Big Board. You can track down wherever you listen to your podcast and on YouTube. Just search Locked On NBA Big Board. And Richard, we had the fateful NBA draft lottery take place Tuesday night last week. The fate of many of the tanking teams in the NBA, if you will, decided on that evening for better or for worse, let's start with the biggest winners. There's there's very a very clear-cut one winner from draft lottery night, but let's start with the biggest winners overall from draft lottery night. Yeah, obviously the San Antonio Spurs, uh, they just got a franchise-changing talent. I would say the Portland Trail Blazers, though, are, are the other clear winner because they were slotted at the fifth pick, which is really where the draft seems to start. There's four consensus guys. Victor Wembanyama, Scoot Henderson, Brandon Miller, Amen Thompson. After that, nobody, I don't think you can find five GMs in a row that have the same number five prospects. So 
it's really wide open from there. They got out of that hole and now they have the clear leftovers of Brandon Miller or Scoot Henderson, whichever Charlotte decides not to do, or they could trade it and create some more assets, use it to get more immediate help. They have a lot of avenues they can go down. And in your eyes, the biggest losers from lottery night. Yeah, there's no question it's anyone other than the Detroit Pistons. It's it's got to be really tough for them to fall all the way down to pick number five in what uh, in what is being regarded as a you know after Wimby you've got the the next three kind of consensus guys and you were you are right there at the cusp of could have had any one of those three guys fall to you and now you're just on the outside looking in if you're Detroit. Yeah, the only good thing that comes of it, and it's still not a good thing because there was an easy positive way out, is now they don't have to worry about you know, potentially deciding, do we want Scoot Henderson with our already two of our top five guards we've drafted in the last two years? Now they don't have that problem, but also they could have just traded out if it and gotten more assets, uh, which they kind of need right now. So that was all in all a loss for them. The good news is Jairus Walker, Taylor Hendricks, uh, Kim Whitmore, those are the three, uh, Star Thompson, really four guys that everyone looks at. All of those could have big uh, implications on the future of the Pistons. You know, I'm really surprised you didn't classify the Mavs as one of the lottery winners, seeing as how they kept their pick. You might have to change your Twitter handle, man. True. I think I was too focused at the top of the draft there. <laughs> okay, no worries. Well, lottery is one through fourteen here, so we'll we'll count. True. We'll give we'll we'll show the Mavericks a little bit of love. I might lose some points with my Rockets fans for saying that line out loud. Somebody's gonna clip that up a little bit later on. You mentioned the Blazers there. You know, at pick number three, and to me, they seem like the team with maybe the most interesting choice to make come draft night. Right? Do they do they keep the pick and take somebody? Do they trade that pick out? Uh, in your eyes, who is the most? Which team or teams have the most interesting choice to make, given where their pick ultimately landed? You know, either between now and lottery night, or just on lottery night itself, or sorry, draft night, I should say. Yeah, I think that really the two teams, they're going to open the floodgates of the rest of the night. I think it's the two, right? It's Detroit at five because they kick off the real next portion of the draft that we know the top four is likely going to be the same four we've anticipated. But Detroit kicks it off and then like just consequentially Orlando right after, right? They also have another decision to make though too is they have a pretty full roster of young players. I think they're ultimately going to consolidate, but do they want to take on two rookie contracts that high? They want to be in the playoffs next year. They were already close to the play-in. Uh, going from what they did last year, having the number one pick, to the play-in almost, they want to be able to compete. And they might be better off only taking one player, whether it's their decision really is, do we want to trade up? Do we want to just trade one of the picks and get a positive asset and then pick from there? How do they go? They've got a lot of diff- also a lot of different options they can explore. Is there a world where Scoot Henderson somehow falls to the Rockets at four? Very wishful thinking there, Jackson. <laughs> no. Uh, there's There's been no red flags about the kid. The, the biggest red flag you could say is in a G League where defense has the reputation of being optional, uh, he didn't play, he didn't try that hard on defense. That's about as big of a knock that could scare teams, I think. Do you see uh, kind of how do you envision the the top part of the draft shaking out after Victor Wembanyama, of course, number one to the Spurs? Who do you envision going where to Charlotte, the Blazers, if they make the pick or potentially trading out of that pick and then the Rockets at number four? Yeah, I ultimately think the Hornets take Scoot Henderson. 
for a couple of reasons. Simply one, he's the best talent available. And right now, Charlotte's not in a position to be picky. They are in a very awkward situation because of unforeseen circumstances that just really twisted the franchise, both injuries, off-court stuff. And just a, a couple of the last few picks not panning out, they really need a surefire guy. And Scoot Henderson and Lamella Ball can coexist. So I like that pick in Charlotte. I think Brandon Miller goes three to Portland, or at least three ultimately, wherever, whichever team that is. I think he's pretty safely three. And at four, I have Amen Thompson. Um, so I think that's that's going to be the order of how that goes. You want me to go to five as well, or yeah? Why don't why, why don't we throw the Pistons a bone here? <laughs> yeah, I, I think they're a tough one because for me. You could go down three different avenues, right? I'll, I'll make a decision, but just kind of paint the picture here. There's Jairus Walker, who is seen as the best ceiling raiser in the in the this portion of the draft. It's not the elite guys, right? Where in Houston, he was already a winning player. He can connect the offense. He's a really good passer, outstanding defender, needs to work on his shot. That's really what it's going to come down to for Detroit is how good is that jumper. Taylor Hendricks, pretty similar. I have Taylor Hendricks one spot above Jairus uh, because he can shoot better. And he protects the rim probably at the similar rate, but I think he's a little bit better defensively like by like a hair. It's so tight. I think you can make the argument either way, but I think he just kind of wins out in both of those regards. And he's a good passer as well. And then the last one is Cam Whitmore, who if you were to draw up a wing that would be a star upside, he plays defense, he has, he's physical, he can score at all three levels, and he can absolutely play off ball as a shooter. And Cam Whitmore has the potential to be that. There's some polishing that needs to go into it to make that happen, but he has that realistic upside. And for me, that's why actually Cam Whitmore is probably the pick at five. Okay. I personally, I love Cam Whitmore. I, if, if the Rockets had fallen to five or six, I, I would have, after getting over my initial disappointment, I would have been very excited about the thought of Cam Whitmore in a Houston Rockets jersey. Richard, it feels like every year there is, maybe one prospect that seemingly jumps over a few names or there's a team that maybe makes it takes a bit of a reach, a bit of a gamble, if you will, on a, on a prospect a little bit lower on the board. If there's a team that trades into that number three spot with the Blazers, maybe the Chicago Bulls make a play for number three or the Raptors get involved in some capacity, maybe the Nets make a move with Mikhail Bridges. Are there any names out there that you could see maybe making a jump and kind of breaking up that next set of three guys of Scoot, Miller, and uh, Amin Thompson? I don't think so, just because so many, I think Scoot and Brandon and Amen, all of, I, I'd say at least Scoot and Brandon Miller, they they have that plug and play into every team, right? If 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 roles were reversed in like, let's just say the Lakers, for example, were picking, would they be, they wouldn't want to choose against either of those guys. Granted, the Lakers like don't want playoff. Yeah, they want, they want NBA ready guys. Both of those guys are that. Like they fit into every offense, every defense. I think there's so much of a universal fit there that nobody's going to shake up that top three. What happens in the draft after Victor Wimanyama becomes a San Antonio Spur? Where should Scoot Henderson, Brandon Miller, and Amon Thompson ultimately go? Of course, you'll have us covered for all of that and more over at Locked On NBA Big Board. Richard, I appreciate you stopping by Locked On NBA with me. Thank you. And that's going to do it for another Monday edition of Locked On NBA. As always, thank you so much for checking out the show. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google, the Odyssey app, free and available on all podcast platforms. We're also available on YouTube. Just go to YouTube, search Locked On NBA. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. But as always, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to having you back right here at Locked On NBA Monday. The biggest stories with the local experts.